Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. I'm Gianna. And I'm Bianca. Gianna, are you doing anything for the Super Bowl this coming Sunday? You know, I actually may have an invite to a Super Bowl watch party. Oh. I just can't say for certain if I'm going to go. <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, hopefully it's a fun time. Lots yeah. of snacks, which is the best part, right? That's what I'm in for. Commercials, halftime show. Let's go. Yes. So while many of you, like us, may be snacking your way through the game, today's Art Pop Talk is about some other defining images of team sports. Yes, indeedy. We're going to be looking at mascots. Where do they come from? Why are they even a thing? And why do they have such a distinct look about them? Hint, hint, wink, wink. Capitalism central. All right, everyone. Let's Art Pop Talk. What up, what up, what up, Gianna? Hey, hey, Bianca, just minutes before, well, like 30 minutes before we <laughs> logged on to start recording, um, I happened to be scrolling on Instagram where I just saw the cutest picture of you and Miss Elizabeth Green from Casey Musgrave's concert. Do tell, oh, how did it did go? Did you like my Instagram? I did. Honestly, so cute. Such a cute Thank photo. Love the outfits. Although one thing I think is super funny, and this literally does not to pertain to anything that the art pop tarts need, I just need everyone to know that our doctor for our resident talk, doctor, resident yeah. doctor, also has a sister, and I've never met her, but I really think it's funny when like either I exist with like you and Alyssa, or like she exists yeah. with you and Alyssa, <laughs> and I like wait for the day where it's the four of us. It's really funny to me. Have you guys oh. ever talked about this? Yeah, Gianna, that's funny because we do talk about you. We were actually talking about you at the concert because we were talking about sister dynamics, and Sarah is a Virgo, and her yes, I is- know, I know, yes, and so. Alyssa was like, I hate Virgos, you know what I mean? She goes, but I love Gianna. <laughs> and I was like, well, I love Sarah. I don't know that I'm, I guess, enthusiastic enough about kind of horoscopes. I would say I hate a Virgo, but you know, it's sister tension, which is okay. But we do talk about you. I think you and Sarah are a lot alike just in your kind of personalities. And Alyssa and I are both, you know, the older sister. So we have that mm-hmm. like Gianna stole my clothes type of yes, you know, right. mentality type of thing. <laughs> totally. um, but it was, Casey Musgraves was fantastic. We had such a fun time, a little trio attending Madison Square Garden. It was just Queen Casey. And also something I was thinking about before we recorded is that, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered what time of year the concert took place in, but coming up on Valentine's Day, seeing Casey Musgraves, the star-crossed show during the month of February because it opens with, you know, the big heart on the stage and it's beating and then it kind of cracks in half. And just this, the, these ideas about love and heartbreak, I thought were very, um, just looking at kind of the stage presence was kind of fun for things we've been talking about on ABT and, you know, the month of February and just taking in the visuals, I suppose. But it was... Fantastic. I mean, did you ooh, a little sports sports pun there? Hey you. sports fans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know what else to say besides it was like pure. It just looked really happiness. Like, 
on some of the photos and some of the videos you posted, it just looked really like kind of like mellow and just like yeah. really chill. For the size of the venue, I have never attended a concert that was so not that it was like peaceful, but it was just very like there was like a calming presence to everyone in the audience. Like we were all just like happy to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my first concert that I've been to in two years. And to go back into a crowd and just feel so at ease with everyone around you was just so nice. And it, it I mean, it's Casey, so the vibes are definitely chill vibes, but it was very different from other large concerts I've attended but Mm -hmm. it was very nice. Yeah, it looked lovely. Um, I did not realize until something came up on my social media how much she actually really does look like Dolly Parton. Like, they're two people who are, like, written in the same font. Um, If there was ever, like, a time where there was going to be a Dolly Parton movie, I would be very pleased to see Casey Musgraves play her. Yeah, well, for Casey Oki, she did do nine to five. And yes. let me tell you, the the life that came alive inside me to hear Casey Musgrave sing nine to five was so nice. exactly what my soul needed. Oh, well, I'm glad it was just like such a wholesome night with Casey. I got like, my, what? Yeah, my Casey merch on right now. Oh, I it's can't. Super cute. Your microphone you. is like covering your boob I'll I'll show it it to you later it's really cute I got some cute merch cute cute merch well before we get into art news we wanted to remind everyone about the announcement that at the end of this month of February we are pairing with Women's Art Wednesday to have an episode on APT. So if you don't know who Women's Art Wednesday is, they are a once a week, every week social media account that introduces a woman artist. So we need trivia questions from you on what to ask Women's Art Wednesday on the episode. These can be any questions related to women in art history, women in pop culture, women in general, women we talk about on the podcast, and we are going to quiz them. And in turn, they are also going to quiz us and probably school us in some women's art history. So we need those trivia questions. And with that, Gianna, do you want to get into some art news? Yes. So for our art news stories for today, we are going to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow. So really, the timing... (laughs) This one took the internet by storm. Um, (laughs) But the timing really worked out with the AD Open Door tour that she did and being on brand with today's Art Pop Talk with her Super Bowl DoorDash commercial, where we got a little teaser of her eating one of her goop candles. So let's first talk about um, the AD tour and like what the whole art scuttlebutt is about. So the magazine featured Paltrow's dream house in its March issue, and it initially misidentified a wire-shaped dangling sculpture as a piece by Ruth Asawa, which is hanging next to an Ed Ruscha. Just thought I'd let you know. Curiosity about this piece spiked when architecture and design critic Alexandra Lang tweeted first, quote, I'm irrationally angry that Gwyneth has Ruth Asawa. And then when AD uh, retracted its reference to Asawa, she noticed and she then tweeted, quote, 
y'all, they have edited the photo and removed the caption reference to Asawa. I think this is actually a copy, as many have been saying in my mentions. So the internet did what it did best, and it just took this topic by storm and was saying that Gwen had a copy, she had a fake, she just a lot of different terminology was kind of blown out. It may or may not be accurate that this is a copy, depending on what side of the art spectrum I guess you're on or how you look at it. And we'll talk about that. So um, a reporter from Art News actually reached out to Asawa's estate to find answers. And a spokesperson from the estate said that the piece was, was either a fake or a copy. And then <laughs> this reporter put out a tweet saying, just confirmed from Art News, I don't know why Gwyneth Paltrow has a knockoff Asawa, but she does. So we have copy, we have fake, we have knockoff. Uh, like, it just feel like a lot of terminology is being thrown out there. And I would like to think a little bit more critically and discuss this for Art News. So we did find the artist. Yes, the artist. So this is not a mass-produced supply chain of a sculpture from a gift shop from the Whitney or whatever museum. <laughs> So this work of art is by an artist from San Francisco, Delisa Krieger, created this piece, and it's no surprise that it does look very, very similar to Asawa. So I'm going to actually read a bit for you guys about her and her sculpture studio from her website directly to kind of help put things into perspective. Quote, a lifetime of imagining and creating blossomed into a singular artistic passion 10 years ago when I attended a workshop of wire sculpture. A wire looping workshop was taught by Eiko Kunio, the daughter of Ruth Asawa. I was initially captivated and inspired by the use of the simple looping technique to produce complex large-scale hanging sculptures. The unique combination of robust sculptural properties and soft, pliable make copper wire a truly fascinating artistic medium. Interlocking wire loops are woven into organic shapes, ranging from elegant singular line forms to complex multi-layered mind benders. My current conceptual explorations and technique develop efforts strive to achieve new levels of intricacy and complexity in a way that visually attracts and invigorates. So Delisa hasn't commented on this art news story, but neither really has Architectural Digest other than kind of retracting its original error or mistake. However, with all of this aside, we can get into, is this a copy? Is this a fake? Is this a knockoff? What exactly is this? I just think the funniest thing to take away from the situation is that did Gwen's people not fact check this before it went public? Like, why didn't they just, or I guess for Architectural Digest, how is it that they would have like written these artists in there like Ruth Asawa, and Ed Ruscha, and then put that out into the world. Like Architectural Digest has not gotten this far in life without fact checks, right? So the thing that people are saying on the internet, you know, it's just doing what it does best and it's running wild with this. And the truth is we only know what we know, but people are saying the only plausible situation is that Gwen told Architectural Digest that this was a Ruth Asawa. And so 
Did she think she accidentally have one or did she just not want to get into it with people? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm kind of thinking it was probably just an innocent mistake. I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow is like intentionally telling people she has art that she doesn't. I really think that she just, I think sometimes, I mean, I am speculating a lot here, but you know, if you're a celebrity and you have that kind of money that, or you're on the level of Gwyneth Paltrow and you just see something because you like it, you know, I know we've talked about that previously and that could run into, you know, potential problems as far as how the art world functions, but in terms of Gwyneth Paltrow's like honesty here, I don't think she was like trying to, you know, foolish us. (laughs) (laughs) You foolish me. You foolish Um, me. I completely agree. Um, and I and I think the the biggest thing here too is we're a little bit caught up on that, but only because also we're just a little bit stunned that this is a credible artist who's been making this work for a very long time. And truthfully, yeah. I've not seen anything like this, and I'm not sure that we've talked about this kind of case study before. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting for us. So Bianca, now that we know the artist, and again, she is pretty beloved in her community um, in San Francisco, I believe, somewhere in California, which makes Mm -hmm. sense because that is where Gwyneth Paltrow's home is. Um, And she's also worked in education for 30 years. These may be biased fun facts that I stumbled across, (laughs) but how do we label this art? Because it's fine if we want to call it a copy, I suppose, but we have to take into consideration that Krieger is not an art criminal making fake Asawas on the dark web. (laughs) She has been producing this work for a long time, and her work has also been publicly accepted by many other home design and news Mm -hmm. magazines. So um, the designer that um, Gwen was working with, too, which I forgot her name, but she just did like a whole Instagram post about her. And I mm. I wonder if she helped pick out some of the like art pieces too in their mm-hmm. home, but they didn't talk about that in Architectural Digest. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I think if anything, this occurrence is might actually be kind of a cool thing for this artist's career. I mean, clearly there's a lot of buzz circulating and I hope that it's not negative. Like, I hope that this artist isn't receiving those, you know, you're a fake Ruthasawa type of thing. Because when it comes to items that are trendy for home design, not saying that this artist is just making intentionally kind of like trendy art. Like you said, she's been doing this for 30 plus years or, you know, been wor- clearly working for a long time. But yeah, when but the public also- finds something that's trendy, inspiration of particular trends items in that kind of vein are going to continually pop up while that whatever style is trending from whoever. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to take into account the style that this artist is working in and like maybe Ruth Asawa's art as an artist falls into what is trendy in terms of design right now. So, you know, there's kind of like a convoluted circumstance happening here because of mm-hmm. that. I don't know. It's complicated, but I don't think any of this is necessarily, you know, nothing here is happening maliciously, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, But I think for me, the fascination kind of behind Krieger's success, because I've never really seen anything like this, being able to 
I guess for lack of better words, piggyback off of another artist's work mm-hmm. and then, you know, make your living off of it, which is quite right. interesting to this kind of visual extent, but also crediting that original artist, right? And I right. think what you said, Bianca, is is kind of right on the nose because I think it's fair to say that Krieger's work is also, not that it's not fine art and contemporary art, but because it's been featured in so many of these decor magazines, these are sculptural works of art that I think are, I think I would be fair in assuming that they are being made to also exist in a home too. And they're decorative and taken into a different context than Rukasawa. Yes, that's a great point. That's a, yes. So much more eloquently put than what no, I was no, no, no. You to got me there. <laughs> yeah, no, to- totally, totally. So, okay, guys, let's put that to rest. And really quick, because sports, Gwen eating her "This Smells Like My Vagina" candle, DoorDash teaser commercial just came out. We got a little taste of it. No pun intended. <laughs> um, so if this is just the teaser, like what other goop products is she going to eat next? And the level of shock I'd just love for football fans to experience while their scheduled program is interrupted by Gwen eating pussy really makes me happy. Yeah, absolutely. 1000% agree. Yeah, I would love for, you know, hardcore football fans to uh, be influenced by, by this <laughs> ad. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I think we should just take a little break. Let's cool down. If you haven't watched the Architectural Digest Gwen Open Door Tour, you should go watch it. Let me know what you think of her um, indoor spa room. It kind of looks like a torture chamber, but in like a (laughs) chic kind of way. Let me know your Mm -hmm. thoughts. Mm -hmm. And we will be right back. Okay, everyone, we have something very exciting to share with you. If you follow us on social media, you might have seen us share our items from Glamour and Honey. Glamour and Honey partnered with Culture Quota to create a line of merch created for art historians. And you can use code ARTPOPTALK, all caps and no spaces, for 10% off on your order. I have two Glamour and Honey sweatshirts right now, and I love them so much. And also not to mention, talk about a great conversation starter. When I wore my Mona sweatshirt out and about the other day, someone stopped me and said, oh, I love Mona, and I wasn't expecting her to be that small. So cute, because let's face it, once a museum goer discovers that Mona is a tiny little painting, that is the first of many startling discoveries to make on their art historical journey. Any other items would also make a fantastic Valentine's Day gift for that special art history lover in your life. So again, you can visit GlamourAndHoney.com for 10% off your order with code ARTPOPTALK. You can find that link to their site in this episode's description or the link on our social media. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Bianca, are we ready for today's Art Pop Talk? Absolutely. Like we said, we're getting into a little sports talk today because we're looking at maybe some overlooked images, maybe images we don't always think about all the time because they're just there, that are integral to sports branding, the mascots. So Bianca, do you have a favorite mascot? I don't know that I have a favorite mascot, but Rumble, the Oklahoma City Thunder mascot, is such a cutie. I mean, for a, as far as a mascot goes, Rumble is is very cute. But you know, being think, from Oklahoma City, I feel like that's a little bit biased. 
I think probably the most Oklahoman thing about us is like we have a very strong attachment to bisons. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So like rumble, I mean, how cute. Yeah. But I also want to put this on our Instagram stories this week because I was thinking about pop culture mascots and Gianna and I have a favorite from Easy A, <laughs> the woodchuck. And I was also thinking about when I've been rewatching Hannah Montana and in the first season when Hannah Montana tries out for cheerleading, but she gets the part of the mascot, the pirate mascot instead, and she rides around on like the little bicycle in the gym. So I've been thinking about pop cultural mascots quite a bit this week instead. So, uh, you know, maybe the woodchuck from Easy A is actually my, <laughs> my favorite one. So Gianna, I was thinking about this. I want to ask you as an artist if you would ever consider designing a mascot or if, you know, maybe not a favorite one, but do you have any mascots that are kind of the most visually enticing to you as a creator? So, oh my gosh, I would love to design a mascot. I I think that could be so fascinating to do just something so wild with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we are really limited in thinking that mascots only equate to sports or advertising. At least that's kind of the realm that we most associate with mascots. That's mm-hmm. their origin, right? As a concept, creating a being that can take shape in multiple different realms is really interesting. It can live digitally. You can make it into a balloon flow, uh, a graphic image, and it can exist IRL or -hmm. physically. Yeah. So mascots, when used in the real world, are, of course, very performative and very entertaining. That's their purpose. And I just feel like what a unique way to capture someone's attention to the point where I think that power can be used for something good (laughs) and maybe for something else. So they are very artful. But have we seen a mascot created by an artist that lives in a performative or art realm created to promote something other than commercialism. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have um, this idea of costuming and masquerading, but we don't ever put it in terms of the mascot, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So some mascots that I love in pop culture and Bianca (laughs) Woodchuck one is just everything. I'm I'm going to put that gif on our on our Instagram this week for sure. Woodchuck, Woodchuck. And then he like tries to dunk the basketball. <laughs> um, and okay, so I also put this is funny because in my notes I put Cinderella story because their whole thing is the fighting frogs and they do that whole skit. But yes. I don't actually ever feel like we see a fighting frogs oh, like mascot. I don't think totally. we do. Totally. But I can hear her say like, "Let's go fighting frogs." Like I can totally hear it. Yeah, and then like, diner girl, diner, diner girl. girl. <laughs> um, and so also, all-time favorite mascot is Green Man from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> excellent, excellent. As far as real sports event goes, <laughs> I I think I'm kind of a sucker for baseball. It really makes me think of my childhood. Yeah. Um, by the way, still don't understand how baseball works. Like, I get it, but, like, the way that they keep score, like, I don't – it's 
like weird. I don't. I don't know. actually know how baseball works, but you know what I love about baseball is like a cold beer and a Dippin' Dots served to you in an upside down plastic baseball cap. Totally, <laughs> and I just really like that it's outside and so mm-hmm. during the day they have fireworks sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I'm talking like a minor league baseball event, folks. (laughs) Well, I've been to some Brewers games when I lived in Milwaukee, and that was really fun. And now that I'm here in Boston, I mean, I have to go to a Red Sox game. I'm really excited to go to Fenway. Yeah, that would be that would be really fun. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that sounds great. I don't know. I think I really do kind of give into the whole wholesome facade of baseball. For sure. For sure. I definitely do. Uh, but for OKC, we had the Red Hawks back in the day, which are now called the Dodgers, which is fucking stupid. <laughs> and <laughs> and it was a rowdy, the Red Hawk, and he yeah. was so cool. And then there's also, I guess, the real green man, which is Philly <laughs> Fanatic, which, by the way, is a freaking bird. You know, I, I believe it. I-, I Bipedal, flightless bird. With an extendable tongue is how it's described. <laughs> of course it's described that way. It's Philadelphia. <laughs> so, Bianca, I know that you are going to take us through some mascot history, and we will get into this in a little bit. But part of the reason we thought it was good timing to do this episode, aside from the Super Bowl coming up was to kind of keep some of the same thoughts that, um, you know, we were talking about and thinking about from last week's episode Mm -hmm. on the whole M&M's and Minnie Mouse's new appearance to defy gender was the goal, which really just reinforced gender as a concept even more. Yeah. But in their own right, if we think about it, each one is a mascot for its Mm -hmm. own franchise. It's very OG. One of the reasons I say it would be cool to do a mascot is because it would be so cool to see something that isn't so limited by human reasoning. Yes. And I may be on this thought process because Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking in this YouTube video about like space and other universes and how aliens wouldn't look like how we think they look. Right. But we're very limited into what other things look like based on Mm -hmm. human reasoning. Yeah. And I just feel like that was so applicable to like so many other things. Mm -hmm. So something like a bird, Philly fanatic, is labeled as a he. And a lot of times you'll see sports teams that have two mascots. You have your main mascot and then you have its female counterpart, which we will get into later. Yeah. (laughs) But I've been fascinated by this idea or question of how in a visual and human world do we create something that we haven't seen or experienced? Mm -hmm. In terms of a mascot in our society, would something that isn't binary or humanistic translate for purposes of entertainment? If I created a floating blob with no body, no gender, no sex, and communicates differently than a human would, Mm -hmm. can that be a mascot or not be a mascot? Right. And that's kind of what I want to see in something that isn't a caricature, right? Because that's kind of what we're talking about. Right. Um, When I was kind of going down the rabbit hole and trying to find other examples and going back to M&Ms, how they turn them into little human creatures, Uh 
something kind of different on the other spectrum, but as far as candy commercial examples go, (laughs) um, I was looking at Hershey's Kisses commercials. Mm. When you think of their bell shape and their little thin paper top that sticks out of their like tinfoil wrapping, Mm -hmm. someone thought of how that shape would move, how that candy would sound. Instead of simply giving it arms and legs and a face, they brought it to life in a different way. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good example, Gianna. I thought that was a really good example, too. It Thank is. You. And I, that's one of my favorite holiday commercials is the Hershey Kisses Bell. I, I love that commercial. I love that commercial. And it's so sweet and wholesome. And I don't have to think about the Hershey Kisses becoming humanistic in a way. They're just a sweet treat for everyone to enjoy. Right, exactly. And they still, it still sells. Like, it still gets the message across. Makes me want to buy some Hershey Kisses. Well, Jesus Christ. I mean, they're doing fine. Like, Hershey Park. Like, you know, I don't know. Oh, they're... last... I was just thinking about that when you brought this up because last Valentine's Day, Andrew took me to the Hershey Chocolate candy store at Hershey Park. And Gianna, I had a fucking field day. I went <laughs> off in that candy store. It's amazing. They have all the different Kisses flavors. They have giant Reese's that you can buy. They have heart-shaped everything at Valentine's Day. I got like a strawberry milkshake. It was amazing. Oh, also Mm. I have to thank, a side note about candy because it's Valentine's Day, thank Dr. Elizabeth Green for getting me strawberry cheesecake Kit Kats. Aww. And it was great. Love a good flavored Kit Kat. Yeah. So, anyway. Oof. Talk about two snacks. These two were looking like goddamn treats over the weekend. (laughs) Goodness. (laughs) I was not well. (laughs) So, okay, Bianca, can you walk us through a bit of the history behind mascots? Where do they come from and why do we even use them? Yes, definitely. So we know what a mascot is at its most basic level when we think about it in terms of today's sports analogy. A mascot is any human, animal, or object thought to bring luck or anything used to represent a group with a common public identity. So schools, sports teams, societies, military units, brand names. They are also used, of course, as fictional representative spokespeople for consumer products. So that's what we know already know, right? There is an interesting capacity that mascots have in their existence for that merchandising purpose in particular. However, mascots in the sports realm or even with, you know, the M&M's fund that we talked about in last week's episode, there's this idea of of mascots for quote unquote goodwill ambassadors to bring goodwill to their community. So when we were thinking about Rumble in Oklahoma City, I mean, how many times did Rumble come to a charity event? You can rent Rumble to be out in your community for a type of event like that. Pistol Pete from Oklahoma State, you can have Pistol Pete go out to different events. And while they're selling you something a lot of the time, they are also used to promote kind of goodness as well. The word mascot originates from the French term mascotte, which means lucky charm. This was used to describe anything that brought luck to a household. The word was first recorded in 1867 and then was popularized by a French composer. The word entered the English language in 1880. 
81, and it's derived from the word masco, which also has a meaning to sorcery or witches. Ooh, I love yeah, that. Yeah. Before the 19th century, the word mascot was associated with an inanimate object that would most commonly be, you know, a, a good luck token. There's this example in an article about like a lock of hair or a figurehead on a sailing ship, like these kind of like token images or objects that, I mean, everyone has kind of a good luck charm, I suppose. But from then to the present day, the term has been associated with good luck animals, objects, and etc. As it turns out, there is a story that's kind of commonly coined about the supposed first mascot here in the United States, when in the 1800s, a little boy named Chick, who carried bats and ran errands for baseball players, became known as the team's good luck charm. According to an 1883 issue of the Sporting Life magazine, quote, the players pinned their faith to Chick's luck-bringing qualities, and it was exactly those so-called good luck charm qualities, and of course a little superstition kind of going back to this idea of superstition and witchery or sorcery, that laid the foundation for what have become these goofy, silly, beloved mascots for different sports leagues all over America. According to an article on mascot history, quote, most of the earliest mascots were either children or animals and were both associated with good luck. It's not entirely clear who or what was the first human, but Chick is widely considered to be the most probable. As far as the first animal, in 1884, an edition of the Cincinnati Inquirer said this in regards to a goat wandering about their baseball team. Quote, The goat was probably looking for some showbills, oyster cans, or some other usually plantable dish for his stomach, but the audience could not see it in that light and thought he was an even better mascot than the old-time favorite. Mascot with the O-T-T-E spelling. It's entirely possible, however, that the first official mascot may have been Handsome Dan, a (laughs) bulldog that belonged to a member of a Yale class of 1892, and Handsome Dan remains Yale's mascot today, 18 versions later, and this picture of the original Handsome Dan is so cute. cute. It's so cute. I'm not well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So in last week's episode, Gianna, when you were talking about the Reddit phenomenon of the place, you talked about flags being a a symbol of staking identity. And the flag is a symbol that we can really latch on to to claim something as ours, right? So what we're seeing a little bit with the Olympics to kind of tie that into this conversation as well is that when teams play as part of their countries rather than the individual teams that we are, we kind of see broken up inside the country itself, there's a sense of pride that one is supposed to take into the account whenever you see your team win in the Olympics, right? And with merchandising for the Olympics instead of a mascot, you know, we saw this with skims and we talked about this in the summer games where there's Team USA merch, But in the traditional sense of what we're kind of like talking about mascots, mascots give their most loyal fans something very tangible and prideful to latch onto, something that shows off their spirit and their support. And mascots are usually something that's very long term, whereas 
an individual player on a team could get traded or they could leave the team. You know, I remember when the Thunder first came to Oklahoma City, I had a Harden t-shirt and it's like, well, why did I buy that Harden t-shirt? You know what I mean? Like, why didn't I get a Rumble t-shirt? So mascots are something that's really true and long lasting to a team, kind of like a flag in that sense. Like my Team USA merch, if I bought that from Skims, is always kind of going to be Team USA. It's not like there's some other kind of specific individualized identity associated with that. The first mascot to actually make a career out of being a mascot was generally thought to be someone named named Max Patkin, known as the Clown Prince of Baseball. Patkin happened to be an actual player of baseball first, pitching for the Chicago White Sox minor league team. And the story goes that during World War II, he played on the Navy team and would participate in exhibition games around the country. And so at one point, he was pitching to New York Yankees Joe DiMaggio at a game in Hawaii. And I'm going to quote this article, served up a home run to him. Again, like, I think I know what that means, but (laughs) served up language was a little strange, foreign to me. Um, So while DiMaggio was running, all of a sudden, Patkin started following him around the bases, mocking the way he ran and started making goofy faces. And the crowd supposedly loved it. Patkin turned his impromptu DiMaggio escapade into a nearly five-decade career of entertaining baseball crowds. But Patkin didn't really wear a costume, so he performed his shtick in a, a kind of baseball uniform. So he can definitely lay claim to the, the title of the first professional mascot that made a career out of, of doing so. But it wasn't until the 1960s when we first started to see these live costumed dress-up puppets we are familiar with today. And I saw something that also related that to the kind of phenomenon of Jim Henson's career as well. Like this idea of a puppeted person walking around as a form of entertainment. Yeah, you know, I thought about that too. I didn't know if it was too on the nose to compare like... um, philly fanatic to like big bird after i found out he was a bird (laughs) right right but i i think there is some some credibility to that that line Mm. of thinking the shift from live costume mascots was spearheaded by actually major league baseball's mr met of the new york mets and brutus buckeye of the ohio state buckeyes in 1964 and 1965 The idea began to take hold with the debut of the San Diego Padres mascot and the San Diego Chicken, who started out of a radio promotion and launched in 1974. And then soon after that, in 1977, the Philly Fanatic was launched as well. So during that time, we start to see a lot of these caricatures as well pop up. So, Bianca, since you brought up Mr. Met, it's only fair to talk about Mrs. Met. But before I do, you also have now identified the origin or the behavior behind mascots, which are at its roots, our humor. And that humor translates to their physical appearances. Mascots are supposed to be funny and entertaining. And historically... (laughs) 
Women are neither of those things, right? There have been conversations from women who are mascot performers who have felt this kind of discrimination. Uh, They were playing male gendered mascots and they were not given the freedom to be funny in their own way or as a woman, right? You are playing a man caricature, therefore be funny as a man. And the training to be a mascot performer also kind of reinforced those ideas. But because mascots are wrapped up in fandom and how people and children respond to them, we can really see these social dynamics. And there are some case studies um, that I looked at, and they were talking about how people respond to women and male characters. Children are more comfortable approaching a female character if given the opportunity, but studies also show that each character, whether it's man or female, will actually target uh, boys more than girls. Okay, so let's talk about Mrs. Met because her story is freaking wild. And I got a lot of information from actually local New York and Queens magazines, which was kind of cool. So the Mets actually brought her back in 2013, uh, and officials would not allow a face-to-face interview with the mascot and were tight-lipped about her reintroduction. But Mrs. Met was first introduced in the mid-1960s, soon after her team's first season, and was known then as Lady Met until the 1970s. But both the team mascots were actually phased out in the 1980s, and in 1994, Mr. Met was brought back, but his female counterpart was not. Mrs. Met was next seen in a 2005 commercial with three little Mets. So they started playing into commercialism and capitalism and started playing off this idea in advertisements of their caricatures having a family. It wasn't until again 2013 that she returned with the explanation that she had been working as a part-time event planner and now was ready to return to work full-time as her kids were now grown and out of their flushing home. This is real. Like, this is, like, the backstory for Mrs. Met. This is fucking real. So when she did come back in 2013, team officials told fans they could meet her then, and she's remained pretty much in the public eye ever since, and uh, she doesn't directly talk to the media. But that kind of got me thinking, I'm not sure if any mascots, like, directly talk to the media. Most of them don't actually verbally talk. Um, Like, for here, like, in Oklahoma City... Rumble will go on the news with some of the other like hype crowd team members, um, but they don't they don't speak right. With the introduction of social media, though, a lot of these mascots do have their own social platform, which is kind of interesting. So in the 1960s, uh, Mrs. Met was actually a redhead, and so now she's a brunette, and she's like sporting a more like ponytail. So that's cute. And then Mr. Met remains hairless. And by the way, Mrs. Met's first name is Jan. Just thought you'd want to know. (laughs) When she did return, she also came back with the slogan of, quote, 
a proud sp spokeswoman for metropolitan hospitality at City Field, basically in the catering and events arm of the organization. Thoughts and notions. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. First of all, I think it's weird that her slogan is proud spokeswoman. I mean, honestly, I never even hear the word spokeswoman or spokesman as often as I do just spokesperson. The fact that it's intentionally spokeswoman is just so interesting in the fact that her identity is a baseball. She's not <laughs> even a real thing. And they, instead of spokesperson, not even like spokesball. Like, spokesball. <laughs> proud spokes mascot. Just the way that um, if she does have any kind of identity, and that's been an interesting thing in the digital mm -hmm. age, I suppose, is that if a mascot does have any kind of identity or voice, it does take place on social media. Right. And there is a another mascot that is a lady mascot. Yes. And it's for the St. Paul Saints. And she's a pig and her name is Maduna. And she's, quote, the divine swine, the diva of the diamond, the official mascot of the St. Paul Saints. Okay. So I stalked her Twitter and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's things on there that are like, but like, I don't mind. They're just like normal challenges, kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, they did a 10 year challenge, kind of mm -hmm. like a glow up. Uh -huh. And it was like, said something, you know, made a joke about like, oh, my skincare routine. Yeah. And she's identifiable as a lady mascot. I guess maybe she's pink, but she's mm -hmm. also a pig. Um, but her like baseball outfit, she's wearing like a baseball skirt. Mm -hmm. At least like, I mean, again, I don't really, like, give a shit. I don't want to, like, critique about, like, a woman character wearing, like, pants or, like, a skirt. Right. But I will say, like, with Mr. and Mrs. Met and their whole family, like, they all, they look exactly the same except for, like, Mrs. Met has hair and then, like, she and has her, her eyelashes She has her lady eyelashes. So we know that, like, she's a girl, right? So, like, <laughs> those things are still happening with Mrs. Mm -hmm. Met. So it's interesting, but Maduna is like one of the only female mascots in the sense mm -hmm. that she kind of represents that team entirely, which is interesting. But also with the Saint Paul Saints, I'm a little bit confused because I think there's like an actual pig, like a real animal that they deem. <laughs> uh -huh. I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm really, I'm sorry. I was very confused about the Saint Paul Saints pig situation. I think we may have a listener who could shed some light on this situation because she commented on our Instagram and was like, yes, for Maduna here oh. to see APG talk about a Midwestern icon. Slide so, into our DMs yes, and then we'll talk about updated. it next week. Yes. I, I also think that this is interesting, just something that I was thinking about in terms of like you were saying, Gianna, there, there may be a real pig that is kind of like Bucky the Badger from New Girl where they bring on... <laughs> oh my God, Bucky the Badger! Yeah, yes. like, but Bucky, there's, you know, a, a logo of him, but then at in that episode of New Girl, uh, Elaine's Big Day with Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, Bucky the Badger is... They have a real badger on the premises, but... Okay, because I, if I look up right now, if I Google St. Paul Saints mascot, it's Pork Night. 
that seems odd. And I don't know what that means. And then when well, I click on other things, it's a picture of a real pig. That is something I was thinking about in terms of other mascots. So when I was Googling random mascots to prepare for this episode, I was thinking about the New England Patriots because I'm new to Boston trying to figure out, you know, the the sports scene here. And the mascot for the Patriots is Pat Patriot. But the logo that they use is obviously different from the caricature that dresses up and is present at sporting events. So I was also thinking about this in terms of sports being aggressive and sports teams wanting to convey an aggressive or competitive type of facade, I suppose. So with Pat the Patriot, there's this old logo that they had from 1960, which they used through the 90s, where Pat has this like, um, you know, furrowed brow. He looks kind of angry or, you know, he's he's in Revolutionary War garb that also conveys this idea of a war between, you know, the, the competing team, I suppose. I think there's clearly a, a, a a battle, right? That's being conveyed with Pat Patriot, but I'm not I'm look, I'm not trying to be harsh when I say this, but the the mascot that they have on the field looks straight up like Jay Leno. Straight up. <laughs> this mascot looks like he's on acid. Like I don't I like mean, it. Right? So there's something interesting about the mascot and the logo and who gets put on merchandising to sell this identity of the team, something that's kind of ferocious and ready to fight, to win. But then the caricature that appears on the field. So I'm also interested in Maduna as one of the only female mascots. As just with the example that you said, there might be kind of a, a pig or swine that's maybe a little bit more aggressive in terms of their logo, but on the field, there's this Maduna female identity that is playful and fun and will kind of engage the crowd in a different way than the competitive spirit. Yeah, absolutely. But I think in that case, too, it's important to look at we're also talking about two different sports and also just the different cultures between those sports. So I can definitely see... You know, even with Mrs. Met, we have this whole family. Like we talked about baseball being a very wholesome vibe. Baseball definitely has this kind of like rooted and like American mm-hmm. history yeah. and identity. And I think we're also like when you think of like local towns or you're more likely to go, I think, to a minor league baseball game than you would yeah. any other football event if you're going to a football event i equate that more with like your high school team or your Mm -hmm. college team Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but again that's like i'm very much an outsider looking in on the situation you know what i was thinking about bianca Hmm. um for our high school so our mascot was a bulldog right Mm -hmm. did our bulldog have a name i have no idea i don't think it did and so there was a girl bulldog like, right, exactly. But and at she sports events, on. there was like she had pearls, right? It was like a pearl, maybe. I remember. And then because she, she had, had like a little like sports skirt, like a tennis skirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I was thinking about those things. I couldn't really yeah. remember. But yeah, the I don't same. Know if, if they had a name. 
the same thing goes. And then that got me thinking too, because I'm like, oh, was there a girl bulldog? I was, you know, at the limited high school, like sports functions I went to. I was trying to piece them in my head together. I really feel like there's a glitch in the system because when I was trying to find other sports teams that have two mascots, Mm -hmm. some of the ones that are like, I don't know, very like um, pertinent or very like Mm -hmm. part of that team's identity. Like I think Spikes and Misty, they're birds for the baseball team of some city. Um, So do it that way you will. But I was thinking that there was like a girl rumble Mm. because I have this like image of a bison with like a bow. And when I tried to find pictures of thunder mascots, I Mm -hmm. couldn't find any other girl bison. And I feel like I'm either I made this up or I'm going crazy. I, I, feel like it's so real in my head yeah maybe a listener can help us let me know Is but there these a lady like rumble sometimes Rumbelina. These like, no right or like rumbleette or something is this is this shit that i'm just like pulling when out I of my ass or is Rumbelina, it real for some reason i really feel like that could be real <laughs> i feel like it's true and like <laughs> if you guys are having a hard time with this finding these like female counterpart mascots that aren't really the face of this Mm -hmm. whatever sports team they were really kind of hard to find and to talk about and even for like again let us know about maduna because even like finding information about her was not the easiest yeah that's really interesting yeah um, but I actually really enjoyed this episode. I don't know how you I feel, know. Bianca. This was really fun. I am I'm actually super fascinated by this topic now and I kind of feel like we could I mean, there's so much more obviously that we didn't get into today, so maybe we can do that for another episode because obviously we did not touch on the kind of problematic history that mascots have as well outside of gender, but in terms of race as well, which um I know has been revitalized in current conversation with the Washington football team because they just came out with their new team name or mascot as well, the commanders. So um, something something to kind of keep up the conversation and maybe get into later, but this was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I want to like message all the artists I know who work with like witchcraft and also performative and wearable art and be like, did you know did you know? Also, Gianna, maybe this is your time to shine. Maybe APT needs a little mascot and you can, we can have like mascot merch and you can design it for APT. I mean, that's interesting though, but if like I'm Like a trying... little animated bubble? Right. But that's what I would say, right? I would, I would, the APT mascot would be the bubble, right? If I, we're I pushing know. the boundaries for what a mascot would be, it wouldn't be David. No, totally David's not. just like there. Right. No. He's, he's just, just like in the a, background. Yeah, he's, he's a do He's a fan. He's a fan. He's a fan. He's a fan. <laughs> it's the bubble. Yeah. All yeah. right, everyone. Well, we want to remind you that you can send in your questions for trivia with Women's Art Wednesday. You can email them to us at artpoptalk at gmail.com. You could submit them through a DM on social media at Art Pop Talk. You can comment on some of the posts we'll be bringing up for, for trivia as well. So please, please send in your questions. And with that, we will talk to you next Tuesday. Bye, Bye everyone. Art Pop Talk's executive producers are me, Bianca Martucci-Bink. 
And me, Gianna Martucci-Fink. Music and sounds are by Josh Turner, and photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond. <laughs>